Hello and welcome to the In the Ring Pedigree Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornatal, back with you. I'm in the Brooklyn bunker as we record this, but we're doing a little bit of trickery with both uh, one of the co-hosts of the show and I on location at Ask It next week. We decided to put this week's show in the can the previous week. So just keep that in mind. There may be a, a reference or two that sounds strange because of that. But we're going to have fun. We're going to be talking about Ask It on this show. And we're going to start off by bringing in the co-hosts. And we'll do it in the opposite order I've been doing it because I already sort of dropped the idea that one of the co-hosts is going to be with me at Ask It next week. And that is Windstar Farms' Sean Tugel. Sean, what's happening? Uh, well, Pete, uh Long time no see. We saw each other up there in New York, and what an unbelievable weekend of racing that was. Uh, any fan, anyone in the business certainly would uh, tip their hat to Naira and not only the card they put together, but the safety that, that happened for all the races. And uh, what an unbelievable uh, mini Breeders' Cup, as we're, we've started to call it over the past several years. And uh, certainly... Uh, a lot to talk about there and, and a lot to talk about going forward the second half of the season, not only in the three-year-old division, but with all the older horses and both male and female, they're kind of back on the go. And uh, so looking forward to that. I'm, and like you said, I'll make my first trip to Royal Ascot next week. So uh, that will be a lot of fun, I think, as well, because I haven't heard anything bad about Royal Ascot. <laughs> it's pretty great. You know, we want to hope that it's not. There was that one year where it was 95 degrees, and uh, that wasn't so much fun. But but uh, even that year, we managed to have a great time. If folks wanting to listen back to the In the Ring coverage of the Belmont Show, that will be on the previous episode in your feeds. This one coming out, Ask It, will be happening in probably a day or two. I'm imagining this is going to drop right before, which will be a lot of fun. One man who will not be at Royal Ask It with me and Sean, but will be watching from afar, is the People's Champion, Jonathan Kinchin. JK, what's up? Absolutely. I'm going to put on the, the, the tails and the top hat and just lay around in bed and watch the uh, watch the NBC coverage. Ice cream. Will ice cream be involved? Ice cream in the top hat? It's a little too early for ice cream. I'm an evening ice cream man. In fact, I'll pass up on a great ice cream cone at two between two and seven p.m. It's not going to work for me. I'm more of a nine p.m. ice cream guy. The two and seven p.m. Those are your drinking hours, clearly. Absolutely. You don't mix, uh, you don't mix, mix adult beverages and ice cream is not made for that unless you're at Saratoga and you're having a boozy milkshake, but that's for another show. That is for another show. Indeed. Sean, before we bring in our first of two guests, I want to talk to you about, uh, your reason for going over to ask it and how this, uh, what I imagine was kind of a dream for you uh, finally came true. What, what, what's gone into all this? (laughs) <laughs> well, the real reason is that I have a, a pair of in-laws that uh, are living over there currently. So it was uh, an easy way and a good excuse to get over there. And uh, we just made it coordinate with uh, with Royal Ascot. And we were supposed to, uh, Windstar was originally going to have Bulletin. We kind of had penciled in there as, as a possible to take over there and, and try on the Commonwealth. Um, Decided to bypass that and and stay here in the states and map out a uh, a program for him here. Uh, no particular reason other than just uh, you know it, he had run run a lot of big races as a two year old and, and came back and ran a big race first out as a three year old and and uh, for whatever reason just didn't c- quite show up at, at Churchill uh, back there at, in late April. So uh, regrouped with him. 
and uh, we're going to probably be pointing him for uh, Saratoga. But, uh, you know, that was the, the main reason was, was we had a horse that looked like it was going to run there and, and had some family over there. And, and uh, you know, Royal Ascot's definitely on uh, everyone in the horse business bucket list, if, if not everyone uh, outside of the horse business as well. So uh, that's how, how we're ending up over there. Fair enough. All right, let's bring in our first guest. And now I'd like to welcome to the show from Cromwell Bloodstock and Hat Creek Racing, Gatewood Bell. How are you today, Gatewood? I'm still fantastic. Thank you very much for asking. Again. Excellent. Excellent. Well, you know, that was off air. There's off air asking and there's on air asking. We've got to, you know, we've got to respect the listeners in this regard. But we were talking about yeah, talking about next week at Ask It and the American involvement which obviously uh, Wesley Ward 10 years ago bringing those first juveniles over has really changed the meeting, both in terms of what you see when you're there and also increasing the profile of Ascot in America. As someone such as yourself who grew up in the breeding business, what did Royal Ascot mean to you as you were starting to learn about the industry and what has it become in your professional career? Um, yeah, well, I mean, it's obviously grown from my perspective in the last nine years. I did, I wasn't there the first year with Wesley, but I was keenly watching, um, from, from abroad. Um, obviously the coverage is a lot better now than it was 10 years ago, uh, with what NBC sports and TVG has done, um, which is awesome. But, you know, I knew of it growing up, but it wasn't something you weren't trying to breed a Royal Ascot winner when I was 18 years old, or maybe you were, but not over here as much. And now that's really been a, you know, people are actually thinking of that, um, trying to breed an Ascot winner, trying to breed a Derby winner, trying to, you know, all those big marquee events and festivals that we've kind of, we've kind of gravitated around recently. You know, they've been doing that in Europe, these festivals, whether it's, ask royal Ascot, whether it's the goodwood festival you know arc weekend they've kind of they've kind of been doing this festival thing for a few hundred years and we're you know america's you know with the breeders cup being a nice two three-day festival things like that it's just shown what the what the fans what the owners where they want to win what the fans you know gravitate towards so um you know it's cool to see us doing it in america and it's also a whole lot of fun going over to to these European festivals and participating or just spectating. Let's take you back in time to your first time going over. You saw the success that Wesley had that first year. How did you, how did that become the idea that you developed to actually be racing winners over at Royal Ascot Festival? Well, I mean, it was all Wesley's idea and, you know, we wouldn't have done it without him. It was his idea from the get go. Uh, I was, I was just kind of starting off. That was about, you know, that was what, 10 years ago, I think was his first foray over there. And I think my first runner myself was Gypsy Robin. So that would have been about eight years ago, but I've been the last nine years. So it's really just, it was all Wesley and, you know, I wasn't buying a whole lot of horses, but I started kind of putting together my little hat freak group, which is basically just a bunch of friends and, you know, you know, small investment where, you know, I could, I could, <laughs> I could make the decision and wasn't going to get ridiculed for it, whether <laughs> it was a smart one or a bad one. So you kind of had the, you know, that kind of helped 
just be able to say, hey, this is what we're going to do, even though the first couple of years, some people were like, why would you send a horse all the way to England just to run in a race? And there's plenty of perfectly good races in America. And then, then they come over and they're like, oh, I, I get it now. And then the next year, a few more people came over and then it kind of just like snowballed from there. And especially, I mean, it, it helps with Wesley having success there. I mean, it's not, it, it's the funnest place to lose, but it's also a lot more fun to win there. But, um, you know, so um, that was really it. And then once he's had some success, then, you know, just like any sport, success breeds more success and people wanting to try and do it. So then you just get orders or people wanting to send horses to Wesley to, trying when it asked it and it became cool and when they get over there it's just a lot of fun and awesome and that's just kind of the self-fulfilling prophecy at that stage gaywood i wanted to um expand upon something that you had mentioned there and it has more to do with um your group hat creek and uh you know i like if anybody's obviously been to keeneland and and sees how how anytime you have a runner there uh, you get you get a big group of, of friends and clients out there, and and the excitement they have not only in the paddock, but but uh, when the horse runs, and, and maybe just expand upon how how that all came about, and and you know introducing new young people to the game at a at a smaller cost. Obviously, there's it's never cheap to do what we do, but but at a smaller cost, and, and how that's expanded, and and I think. Uh, you know, what, something else was, was when you won there and Wesley, and, and I think everybody had their children there, all the all the partners, and and yeah. I, it was almost like well, a petting zoo after after the after yeah. The and, well, none of us had none of there weren't any kids really when when it started eight years ago or seven years ago, but that's that's been a really fun part of it. A bunch of us have kids now, and they've grown up in it, and it it really just started as <clears throat> I was going out on my own, and I figured if I could buy three you know, relatively inexpensive fillies that it would just give me three chances to maybe get lucky, send something to Wesley and then, you know, get introduced some people at a low risk um, involvement level and just get some people exposed to the game. I mean, I have a lot of friends that grew up going to Keeneland, but never really owned a horse that ran at Keeneland, but we all had friends that did. And so that was the idea. It was, basically just to get some friends involved and to give me an excuse to buy three horses um, <laughs> and hope that we got lucky. And, you know, I figured I could go beg for the money from, if I hit up enough people, I could rally up enough money to, to get it done. And it just kind of grew from there. I mean, well, it hasn't really grown in numbers of horses, but it's grown in numbers of people. Um, and, you know, that's all it is. It's just trying to introduce some people mainly younger people, but we've got a lot of um, people that have already been in the horse business that just see us having fun and want to join. And it's really just, you know, a bunch of friends and friends of friends that are like-minded and just enjoy the sport for what it is. And going out to Keeneland mainly is where we're based. And so we try and run at Keeneland. We try and if we get lucky, have a horse for Royal Ascot, Um, you know, just those kind of Saratoga, the places that, um, everybody's trying to but it doesn't always work but they're just as good when the horses are slow as they are when they're fast so for me the commonality it's been a lot of fun the commonality between those three places you mentioned gatewood when you talk in keeneland Ascot, and saratoga is places where a win is worth more than money is that is that a piece of is that a piece of it 
yeah, of course. I mean, we like <laughs> if I own all these horses, I mean, I own a piece of all of them. But if I owned them all myself, I wouldn't have, you know, gotten to experience you know, even close to what we've gotten to as a collective group. I mean, I've, I think I said this in another, to someone once, but it's like the best part to me about the partnership and syndicate model is, is a being able to expose people that wouldn't no- normally be able to, from a financial standpoint, like you, you put up 10 grand or five grand or two grand or 50 grand or whatever it is, but you know, you get the experience without putting up the full financial thing. But then also it just takes the pressure off you know, like, for example, Chili Patine is going to go over and run it in, in Ascot next week. And, you know, she only costs, what, 30 grand or something like that, you know. So if it was me and a buddy that, that had owned her, you know, we, we might have gotten some offers and it just would have, you know, I couldn't have afforded not to sell her. But right. when you get all these groups of people together, it's, it, you know, you're not under the pressure to like, try and make a buck because nobody gets into it to try and make a profit obviously we're managing it that hopes that we increase the value of these horses and we earn purses and sell them for more than we bought them for and all that but it's not like you've got 10 partners out there saying hey we got offered x we should have sold you know i would but yeah but you 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 just get to act differently because it's all shared you know and and we're in it for the experience and that experience to the the majority of, of my partners and myself is, is worth more than you can put, you know, any dollar amount on. There's not like a, you know, so a lot of people run it for money. We're, we're in it for trophies and experiences. That's great. I want to ask about one specific horse, uh, Wesley Ward, of course, known for the success with two-year-olds, but one of the happiest I think I've seen him at Ascot was two years ago after the victory of Conte Partiro. Just wanted to ask you to reflect on that win and what it meant to you to 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 get one home in a race like that. Yeah, I mean that was that was awesome. Um, again, we had a great crew over there. We ran two the day before, and uh, we had the favorite and the you know about the third choice. We ran two. We we really tried to win the Windsor Castle with um, Nookia Sound and Elizabeth Darcy. And so we ran two in there. They were, I think they were favored and third choice or fourth choice or something like that. And, uh, you know, didn't have any luck, which happens over there. I mean, it's a really hard place to win. Like, like all these places are there, everybody wants to win. And, and, you know, so there was low expectations, but we thought she was going to run really well. She had just an incredible work, her last work for Keeneland. So we were like cautiously, optimistic that we could hit the board but then you know you're running a mile for the first time wesley'd never run one going a mile they said he couldn't do it with something that wasn't a two-year-old even though uh or going further than six furlongs even though he'd won with undrafted i guess two years earlier uh which was his first older horse that had won so it just it was it was really special for him we had jamie spencer come worker the week before and then we gave him the mount because he rides the straight course at ascot like nobody else and so, you know, it was just, we were over there with a long shot and we knew it, but we didn't think we were a hopeless cause. So it was just, you know, those unexpected ones are sometimes a little bit more fulfilling or satisfying or enjoyable for whatever reason. So it was just, uh, we had, we had fun. I'd like to say we acted like we'd been there before, but we didn't because we hadn't. <laughs> not sure the Sandringham trophy had been drank out of as much as it, as it was that night, but we polished it up before we returned it. 
Yeah, you would, JK. Hey, so Chili Petten obviously has been... Patine, patine, patine. Patine, patine, patine. What is a patine? What is a, what is a chili patine? It's a, it's a very small hot chili pepper that's found in the wild on, like, ranches of South Texas. And she's kind of she's kind of a chili pepper, and she was bred by Helen Alexander um, of King Ranch family uh, fame, and that's where the that's where the name kind of came you, from. You, you had me at Texas. Um, <laughs> so uh, yep. something's very interesting about this horse. Obviously, you debuted on the dirt. Um, Keeneland has obviously been very cooperative in allowing you know you guys and Wesley to train horses on the turf course. So I have a two part question one is how how was how she been working on the turf i i've seen she's i got what maybe four turf works in a row which will be a nice clue she's obviously bred top and bottom for the grass so how's she working on the turf the other question is i would imagine that you would have some inside information well have you guys had conversations with keeneland about running some four and a half or fives on the grass for two-year-olds in years to come I mean, I would highly doubt that they would do it. They're more than gracious to allow uh, Wesley to work as, and a lot of the trainers to work their horses on the grass. Just once the meet's over, um, you know, it took forever. I don't know if you were if you were gambling on races. It wasn't that long ago, but they didn't. They didn't used to not even run maidens on the grass at at um, at Keeneland. Probably, I'd say in the last seven or eight years. Um, so, like a two-year-old maiden on the grass, I would I would doubt it, and I don't think it's really something that we'd need to ask for um these ones they're just they're able to win if they if they aren't like she's probably more of a turf horse i mean she's bred for the grass um and when in her four works you were asking how her works were i mean i think you can find them online but they were yeah very very good um better than she looked on the dirt to be honest um which is which is good considering her breeding that's what we were hoping for i mean it's obviously a big difference working on the grass at keeneland and running at royal ascot but wesley's always thought that it was a very similar turf course uh so you get a much better judge of how they're going to run in england or on ascot's grass course than you would for example like working down at palm meadows where you know it's a little bit more like a spongy carpet and they all seem to kind of get over that a little better this one Keeneland's grass course separates them a bit more. Um, yeah, and so she's had two really nice works and two good works. So um, we'd be cautiously optimistic. We just got to figure out what race we're going to go in. Now, the now I have to tell this mini story. You uh, you were responsible for one of my greatest and worst beats as in a future bet. You, you told Jake Ballas how much you liked mastery. Yeah. Uh, being involved with that horse and Jake and I uh, hopped on a, a phone call and, and got a future bet down before the maiden. We were alive like 150 to one yeah. or something before he even ran. Yeah, so, I remember. Uh, I, remember. I, 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 I appreciate Percy's bar, Percy's bar at Keeneland. And I told him about him and he, he was in there. He's like, you still like this horse? Yeah. I was like, I think I showed him a text message from Baffert and he got on the phone immediately. And <laughs> got that down. Now, so now we need another favor. And don't worry, no one listens to our show, so we're not going to mess up any prices. But who, which, you've got the inside info on these Wesley babies. Who are we betting next week at Royal Ascot? Oh, well, obviously, we're going to bet yours. But uh, which other ones have you have you heard are, 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 are the goods? Uh, man, that's, um, I will say, he, 
he's gotten better and better and better every year. And like, he really doesn't take anything over there now that he doesn't think like can win. Now I'd say if you said which two are going to win, if you had to pick, he, he would be able to tell you too. And I might be able to also, um, but really it's, you got to wait to see how these races turn out, like how they draw. And, you know, sometimes you win, run a winning race and you're on the, the near side of the thing and the field splits into two halves and, you know, you win your half and you end up fifth. Um, they're all doing very well. I, honestly, from a gambling perspective, I think bound for nowhere. I think I saw he was 14 or 16 to one in the, in the uh, Diamond Jubilee. And he's been over there twice now. He's got experience on the track, like undrafted did. Um, I think, I mean, he's training awesome. He was just a little bit short in the Shaker Town, which is what got him beat, I think. And I think he's going to run freaking huge so he would honestly be my bet if i was gambling besides chili patine even though we don't know where we're running um <laughs> you know he he's always held that um Naabeth in very very high regard um so like if i had to tell you one of the other two-year-olds maybe that one but you never know like we had you never know who's gonna be in those in in these races and what they're gonna turn into be i mean you might be running against Rosina, even though she's only broken her maiden at this stage or so, I'm a, I, I think if they're all like fair odds, if they're all in the six to eight to ten to one range, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be scared to bet any of them. Fair enough. And I want to ask you one more to just sort of bring the conversation full circle. You alluded to this from the early days of going over there and people saying, well, why would you go there when you can run for all this money right here? I think there's certain people who still have that cynical attitude a little bit when it comes to ask it and oh why would you sit why would chad brown send you know x or y over there when there's all this money to run for in new york part of it as you mentioned is the experience of it but i was curious from a breeding angle in particular you know what is there to be gained by running at the royal meeting oh for sure i mean well to me life's a lot more than money uh you know these are experiences you just can't buy and it, you can't understand it unless you go over and, and and do it yourself and are there with friends in front of all your peers and just the history. I mean, it's why winning the masters is more important than winning the, you know, the Valero Texas open. But on another standpoint, like you're in front of like the whole world is watching there and you're just, you're just broadening uh, the market that, you know, your, your horses are run like are exposed to um you know if we've got fillies that we've been taking over i promise you a lot more people came and looked at sweet emma rose for example because she was second just beaten in the queen mary grade two than if she was beaten in just a one-off grade two in america not saying that it's any better or worse of a race it just exposed her to more people and made her a little bit more versatile to 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 some or prospective breeders so i mean yeah it's just it's just fun to Try new things, get out of your comfort zone and, you know, go to other people's home turf and, and, and try and see how they do things. And just, I mean, they, it's just fun. I don't, I mean, they're very hospitable. They're very welcoming. You get there and you're just blown away by the magnitude of it all. And it's just like special to participate. And if you get lucky enough to hit the board, it's just like, it's, it's a weird feeling. I mean, it's like, it's like the breeder's cup, you know, like you're, 
thrill just to be there the whole week watching your horses train in the morning so excited and if you get lucky enough to the board in a meeting like that it's like people are congratulating you for running third and stuff it's like similar to that so that's what that's what we're trying to get exposed to that's great and you talked about how horses are now being bred to to potentially run over there that's that's a factor and i feel like and i want your opinion and sean if you have an opinion on this i'd like to hear it too because obviously i'm very much of an outsider when it comes to the breeding business but it seems to me like looking over this ward team in particular that this is the best bred group of his horses who are running over there and i would imagine that's just going to be a one-way train of just seeing better and better bred horses i mean it's that is that's just completely a product of him doing it on his own him doing it with his homebreds him doing it with twenty thousand dollar horses that i've bought or someone else has bought and given to him and now every year it's just his success is snowballing so now you've got top-end breeders that either just want to send them a horse that they think looks like an ascot two-year-old or one that maybe they didn't get sold as a yearling they'll give it to wesley with for a chance to do that or He's also got some great clients that allow him to go to the yearling sales and the two-year-old sales saying, here, buy me a basket two-year-old and that's, you can spend 300 grand on it as opposed to 32 grand or, you know, and, and he gets these much better bred, much better suited horses. And then he's able to work his magic and put his horsemanship to work. And, and then that's why, that's why he thinks like, I mean, he says, I think he's been quoted saying this is his deepest group. I mean, he doesn't have a lady Aurelia per se that, was just about a, a lock, which you hate to say that going over there even, but <laughs> she proved to be. But, like, you know, he's got really well-bred horses that none of them would surprise you if they if they just showed up on the day, and that's all you can really ask for. I mean, because over there, it's there's a lot of, you know, it's racing anywhere, but there's a lot of luck. There's a lot of the draw, the, and it's just a tough place to chip over and run, and you're running against Europe's best. Um, you know, it's – it's you better bring your best. So if you got if you got better bred and better looking horses, you're gonna have a better chance. Gatewood Bell, thank you so much for your time today. Godspeed. I look forward to uh, having a, a pitcher of pims with you at some yeah. point during the week. Oh yeah, for sure. We'll have more, yeah, more than one. <laughs> look forward to it. Great stuff. That was a lot of fun. Thanks again to Gatewood for joining us. Sean, before we bring in our next guest, we're actually going to let you and JK go just because of the timing of how we're recording this before I bring in our second guest. But just to button things up a little bit, wanted your perspective on what running at Ascot and running well at Ascot can mean in terms of the breeding business at this point. Um, Well, I do think Royal Ascot itself um, has always been an extremely – um, important race meet for Europe. And now that, um, especially Wesley has created such a, a major niche in, uh, and, and knowing how to prepare the horses to go over there and with oral Ascot, you know, the tele, tele way it's televised now, the coverage it gets, you know, it really does, you know, everybody in the world is paying attention to it now. Um, certainly it's, it's, it's extremely high accomplishment for any American breeder who, who is capable of breeding the horse to be that good and be able to represent, um, you know, American breeding on that stage. Uh, I loved hearing Gatewood say Naabeth was one of uh, Wesley's top horses being by Carpe Diem. That'd be extremely exciting for us uh, with him having his first two-year-olds to, uh, to, to accomplish 
a Royal Ascot winner in his short career so far. So that for us would be a huge uh, accomplishment for our stallion. And, um, and so it, it, it's not only for, for the breeders, but it's also the stallion farms and, um, and, and ha- being able to, to say their stallion is good enough to produce uh, a horse that's capable of running on the world stage. Very good stuff, Sean. Thank you for that. JK, a closing thought from you for this Ask It edition of the In the Ring Pedigree podcast before we get to the last section of the show. No, I just remember now I got to go to the grocery store on Sunday or Monday and and get some champagne and orange juice and bacon (laughs) and eggs. I'm going to just make breakfast every morning next week and uh, sit around in, in my underwear and watch, watch Ask It. What's, what's wrong with that? TMI, Is that JK. any different than a, no, a normal week for you, though? I don't. Well, the only difference is I don't eat bacon and eggs for lunch, which is, I'm not against it. And I typically don't drink mimosas after 11 a.m. So I'll have to probably switch it to a, a different adult beverage and probably a different meal. But uh, no, it doesn't change much. Mostly, uh, mostly of my racing at home uh, takes place in the underwear. Oh, Lord. I, I can tell you this much. Listeners this week have heard all of your dietary <laughs> restrictions. No ice cream before 2 p.m., no mimosas after 11 a.m., and then you're not a bacon and eggs guy. I just don't get it. Bacon and eggs? Just There's a certain, there's an appropriate time for bacon and eggs. It's, it's not a lunch thing. It's either breakfast or dinner, right? So, so that's correct. The people's champion. Or on anything or wrapped around anything. <laughs> I had no idea the People's Champion has, you know, a, a di- dietary restrictions similar to that of uh, like a supermodel, but just at the same time, very different. You know, lots of rules, though, just like those people. But, you know, they, 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 they're, they come off at a little bit of a different angle. That's it. Have either of you guys, I mentioned the Pims when we were talking to Gatewood. Are either of you familiar with that beverage? Only in name I, didn't, only. Didn't you get them at Saratoga? One, didn't you bring them to Saratoga one time or something? Yes, we did it for one of the Travers parties. We did pictures of Pims, and it's a great. It is just a great racetrack drink. They have it on tap at Ascot. It's basically like a gin cocktail. I think it's gin. There's a little bit of orangey liqueur. You can make it at home with sweet vermouth orange liqueur and gin and then you load it up with all kinds of like fruit and mint and all this stuff and it's is just that not just oh. a negroni no no because a negroni i mean you're right it's in the family of but the ratios are different and it's a negroni you've got your campari and your vermouth mm. and your gin but you're right it is in the family i didn't even put that together the other thing is though unlike a negroni which is very spirit forward you mix mixed in with the pims is uh i like to do like a mixture of uh, ginger ale and lemonade and it just like lightens it up i mean if you were just drinking negronis all day you you wouldn't make it to the fourth race you know <laughs> Well, thank God there's only six. (laughs) All right. And with that silliness out of the way, we're ready for our next segment. And now I'd like to welcome to the In the Ring Pedigree podcast, one of my favorite pundits in all of the UK, Vanessa Ryle. Vanessa, how are you today? (laughs) That's a nice introduction. I'm very well, actually. I'm on very good form. Yeah, very happy. I should actually say, you know, we have a lot of people in the USA breeding business who listen to this show. The Bloodstock show that you do over there, is it available internationally? Oh, well, it's available on our YouTube channel. Yeah, on the At The Races YouTube channel. You guys should be able to access that, should be able to watch that. And we try and do roughly a show a month. 
and it can be a variety of different content essentially it can be anything from kind of off the wall documentary style stuff we followed a foal being born quite recently or it can be more formal sales things when the big book one sales are on over here for the yearlings we do a proper sales report on them so it's a real variety of different things but um yeah it's great fun i produce it and i present it and i'm given pretty much free reign actually and yeah i love it i love it it's great I definitely think with the internationalization of the breeding market, it's something that our audience will be very interested in checking out. I'll make sure to send out a link as well through my Twitter so folks in Lexington and throughout Kentucky and throughout the U.S. can check it out because it's something that we don't really have the equivalent of here at all. And I think people would definitely find interesting. Speaking of the international bloodstock market, I feel like the increased USA participation over the last 10 years has had to have at least some effect on what ASCIT means in terms of the international breeding market. What effects, if any, have you seen in that time? Well, it's definitely, uh, you know, Ascot has always, as you well know, been the highlight of the European uh, racing calendar. And it has real stallion-making races throughout. Throughout the whole week, there are stallion-making races. You know, for the three-year-olds, obviously, the clash of the... Um, the clash of the Guineas winners in the St. James's Palace Stakes, that is pretty much a stallion-making race. You know, if your if you're three-year-old can beat maybe an Irish Guineas winner and an English Guineas winner or whatever in that race, uh, best of the bunch of the three-year-olds and then go on. You know, that is a stallion-making race in itself and that just carries through throughout the whole week. In terms of what the international breeding has brought into it, you see it more and more now. You know, um, No Nay Never's Offspring, um, you know, like the American input, the American speed, Wesley Ward bringing his horses over. It's huge now over here and it's definitely had an effect in a positive way. You know, a lot of old fashioned breeders over here will sort of waffle on to you about how much there's, there's too much emphasis on speed. You know, we have a lot of that. No one breeds middle distance horses anymore and there's too much emphasis on speed. I mean, I'm and I don't believe that quote i think it's pretty single-minded um but definitely of course because of your speedsters as much as anything that's brought in a whole new level of talent and a whole new pool of horses and different stallions so it's fascinating and it's it's something a bit different but the europeans are definitely embracing it i feel i feel like another angle with americans getting sort of on the map when it comes to uh, the international scene, I want to tie it into the Galileo dominance and what we saw in the Derby this year and just the need as there are more and more Galileos out there to bring some new blood into the English and Irish uh, breeding scene. Does that perhaps make breeders over there take a little bit more of a look at horses coming from the United States? Oh, I think they definitely take a bit more of a look for of, of your horses, 100%. Because, you know, we can't... The, the thing is with the Galileo and the Dubawi and, well, probably those two really, domination over here, is that it cuts out 90% of the market. 90% of breeders can't afford to send their horses to Dubawi and Galileo. So although they are the best, we have to go looking elsewhere. We have to go sourcing new material elsewhere. And for me, in more recent times, No Nay Never is the prime example of that. 
you know, came over here, won really well, and now has become a very, you know, has made a very promising start to a stallion career. And the horse at the top of the Coventry betting is sired by him. He's, you know, he's a great example of bringing in that fresh blood. And yeah, okay, it's not the sort of taking on the Galileos and the Dubawis, but it's, they're all still racehorses. They are to an extent. And it, you know, we have to look elsewhere. Like I say, going back to not being able to afford them. Those really high-end horses, just like I say, so many breeders can't afford. So, of course, they're looking elsewhere. And, of course, a horse that over in America has shown, um, you know, uh, has shown the attributes to be able to operate over here in the European um, races, like, that is very, very attractive to breeders because everyone's looking for a different angle. Everyone is. One of the things folks here are paying attention to in particular is the American Pharaoh Babies slated to run at Royal Ascot this year. Has that storyline been one that you've been following? And uh, I'm just curious to to know what kind of impact it's it's had. Do you know, I would say that hasn't picked up as much as I thought it would, funnily enough. I mean, there was interest with his first runners when when Aidan O'Brien had the winner over in Ireland. There was a bit of scattered interest, but I don't know if people have latched on to American Pharaoh as a stallion in the way I thought they might. You know, he's such a beautiful physical, obviously goes without saying, the whole triple crown. He's been given every opportunity at stud, and now he's had his winners. But somehow... I don't feel there's the real... I don't feel like people have really latched onto him over here yet, funnily enough. Or there's definitely not a, a particular... I'd be lying if I said I felt there was a particular level of... a different level of excitement about his runners going into Royal Ascot, for instance. And I'm sorry if that's not what no. <laughs> everyone over there wants to hear, <laughs> but it's just speaking personally, I just haven't felt that kind of real excitement about his runners yet well we'll see what happens i i imagine it'll be the norfolk where we'll see the the potential clash between a horse like maven and a horse like monarch of egypt and would i be correct a big run from one of the pharaoh babies in a race like that could get could change minds in a hurry oh yeah I mean, 100%, Peter, like, you know better than ever, anyone how fickle people are in racing. And if one of his sharp types went and won really impressively in any of those group level two-year-old races this year, uh, you know, th- this this coming week at Royal Ascot, we'd be all over him. You know, it's just, <laughs> it only takes one special one. And then everyone's going, oh, American Pharaoh, American Pharaoh, American Pharaoh. I just... Yeah, I just we haven't had that yet, but it'll just be it'll be one horse that'll make that make it sort of hit the headlines and then everyone will be off talking about it. So it's not so much. I just I just feel like people haven't quite copped on yet as much as anything. It really reminds me of horse players, punters. And when you talk about the breeding market like that, where you'll get there's sort of a fashionability that affects the marketplace and it can turn so fast in in one direction or in the other direction. And it, it seems like there's a way that you can also try to stand back and stay a little bit out of the fashion and look for value, whether you're talking about betting on horses or deciding what to see, making your decisions as far as breeding goes. Does that sound like a correct analogy to you? Yeah. I mean, it's amazing how horses go in and out of fashion so quickly. I mean, honestly, like you just 
can't predict it. You know, it's so difficult to predict. And that's why, you know, if you're pin hooking yearlings at the bottom level of the um, market, you're trying to second guess what's going to happen next year. You're trying to second guess which stallions are going to fly and which stallions aren't going to fly. And, um, you know, it's just amazing how, like I say, a return to that word fickle, but it just <laughs> takes a few high profile horses and a bit of, um, you know, the right people saying the right things. And all of a sudden, one stallion can just be bang, really fashionable. You know, and it's like you say, you reference the betting markets. It can be the same in, with anti-post betting or anything. We we are all essentially, you know, there's a few shepherds in this world and lots of sheep. <laughs> that's a bit, that's the kind of analogy I always go for. And um, it's the shepherds who can set the, you know, the the trail we go down essentially. And lots of other people will follow. I mean, for me, a prime example of a horse maybe well one example of a horse going out of fashion um not out of fashion sorry but when when Frankel's offspring first hit the fall market and then the yearling market so prior to him having any you know any runners on the track right everyone was going oh well he doesn't stamp his he doesn't stamp his stock does he he doesn't stamp his stock because they all looked a little bit different. He didn't particularly stamp his offspring. And so then everyone was a bit wary. And then there was a time where you could buy a Frankel in the ring for, like, don't get me wrong, still extortionate amounts of money. <laughs> but you definitely could get your hands on them. Then they hit the track and his first five out of six runners were winners. And then he's having group winners all over the shop. And then Everyone forgets what they said before. You know, I've literally heard bloodstock agents say one thing one month and then something different the next. And they are the trendsetters. So what they like goes. And it's just, it is, it's a very fickle market. It's a very, very fickle market, I'm afraid. We've got a couple more minutes here, Vanessa, and I want to talk a little bit more about the specifics of this Ascot meeting. From your point of view, from a breeding perspective, what are the races throughout the whole week that you're the most looking forward to seeing? Um, throughout the whole week, I love the Coventry. I love fast two-year-olds. I love that race. Last year, we saw Calix make a big splash. That was for Kingman, you know, and then everyone went mad about Kingman's. Uh, so that refer that links back to this whole sort of fashionable angle we're going for. Uh, but I really, I really love the Coventry, and like I mentioned before, uh, you know they've got the stallions all through the market represented there, and so that'll be really interesting to see who comes out on top there. Then from the mayor's point of view, you know, magical taking on Sea of Class and the Prince of Wales' stakes. That's a fantastic race for me. I love that. And then they've got obviously a Derby winner in there as well with Massar at the moment and um, Crystal Ocean for the Sir Michael Stout team. That That's, you know, two really good Colts taking on two really good fillies. And that's my sort of, um, you know, I, I love that. I really love a clash of not only generations, but also... Um, the sexes as well that that race for me has it all um but yeah i mean those the 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 queen mary as well you know we've, we've got some really nice two-year-old fillies this year often um i think we'll probably touch upon it later but you know often um you guys can come over with a fast filly and we all run scared in those two-year-old races but this year um thanks to godolphin having some really sharp types the, the two-year-old races are going to be very competitive and there's a feel that that generation this year is, you know, I'm not saying about next year in the classic generation, I'm talking about right now, the two-year-olds this year 
um there's a really good bunch of them and it'll be interesting to see what and who comes out on top where because obviously at the moment we are still very much in the lap of the entries gods and the declaration of gods <laughs> yes i should point out we're recording this the week before this show will probably drop on the sunday before ask it so more will be known lots of great information about the meeting on at the races.com you gonna have anything in print or anything special to to plug uh, ahead of the meeting that we should get in here before we let you go um not so much in print but in terms of what we've produced over at the races on our twitter and then on our facebook and also our youtube channel because um sky sports racing is obviously broadcasting it for the first time this year uh, there's a high state of excitement and we've really thrown the kitchen sink at different features and things there's a fabulous frankie Tory feature going out at the moment where he's kind of in his most relaxed state you must watch that i think there's <laughs> clips of it on twitter but also on YouTube, if you haven't seen it already, it's very funny and he's brilliant, actually. Um, we did a piece with Mick Canan. He talked about his three best rides and it was actually him talking about Asimore winning the St. James's Palace that really hammered home to me how important that, that race is in terms of stallion making races. Um, and then there's been a few features on the international horses as well, on Deirdre and a few others all well worth a watch if you just want to get sort of stuck into a bit of ascot excitement definitely head over to the it's the at the races youtube page because of the sort of old crossover with the old channel and the new channel so if you head over to at the races on the youtube you'll get some good ascot content on there i did very much enjoy the preview the other night with sean boyce and hugh taylor yeah. and kevin blake though i warn listeners if you tune in they do have this guy come on for five minutes to talk about american stuff and i'm not sure he knew what he was talking about <laughs> Vanessa, thank you so much. Uh, if you want more from Vanessa, if you want more about Ask It, make sure to check out our Royal Ask It Monster Pod, which you can find in the same feed. Vanessa, thanks so much for your time today. Oh, no, thank you for having me on. It's a privilege. It's brilliant. Thank you. You're very kind. And that's going to do it for this edition of the In the Ring Pedigree Podcast. Got to thank the co-hosts first and foremost, Jonathan Kinchin and Sean Tugel, for their ongoing contributions to this show. Also, today's guests, Gatewood Bell and Vanessa Ryle. Thank you so much for your insights about Ask It. Most of all, I want to thank all of you, the listeners. And we've got some new listeners on this show, and it's very flattering to hear so many people from the breeding industry tuning in and checking us out. We appreciate that very much. Keep those comments coming and we will continue to put out some content for you this show has been a production of in the money media in the money media's business manager is drew Cotney. i'm peter thomas fornital may the hammer drop your way